Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of Cultural Communications Agency, C-Flash. Each episode, I bring a different business leader, entrepreneur, you name it, who's doing great, great work. I am so excited to have Tamika Stewart, who's the CEO of THS Consulting. Now talk about her story, her career joining, and it's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Tamika. Hello. How are you? You know, just looking at the snow. Oh. <laughs> just like, ugh. Four weeks, six said we were going to get, so I'm bracing myself. This is true. This has to, it, it is February, so we are, and we are on the East Coast, and that is what happens in February. So we shall deal. But even though we're stuck inside because of the snow, um, the podcast doesn't change. So, Tamika, what was your first job? So... My first job was like I was a sophomore in high school working at this drugstore called Happy Harry's. And it's so funny because Happy Harry's is now Walgreens. And um Really? Yes. Happy Harry's. Hmm. Yes. It was this locally owned company. And uh, my sister, you know, talk about networking, right? My sister got me in. My sister worked there when she was in high school. She's about five years older than me. So when it was time for me to start working, she had to put in a good word for me. And, you know, they loved her. So they were like, okay, well, we'll try your sister. So my very first job. And I worked there probably up to like my sophomore, junior year in college. And then I started, you know, taking on internships in my field. But, you know, it taught me a lot, you know, that very first job. It does teach you a lot. Even though I was still in high school, you know, how to juggle responsibilities. You know, my parents were like, look, your grades cannot suffer at all. You know, as soon as they do, you're out. You know, so it was very, it was very fun. I'm glad I had that job when I was younger. Awesome. And so what did I become? So Happy Harry's became Walgreens. What? That's so interesting. I mean, Walgreens is like everywhere, every corner here in New York, but in its Dwayne Reed format. Right. <laughs> uh, and when I grew up on Long Island, the Walgreens five minutes from my house. So I think I went to like three times a week. Because <laughs> you can yes. get everything you want is usually there. Um, and you then you make you you end up having to deal with all kinds of crazy people, um, because you know stores that sell everything means every, everyone wants everything at the exact same time. So I'm sure you learn a lot about juggling and managing expectations of people too. And we were located at uh, it was a beach town. You know, I'm from a small town in Delaware, and it's a beach town. So you got everything that came with that. You know, people would come in without shirts, without shoes, even though the sign was clearly posted, no shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like now with masks. But so, you know, I have my heart goes out to those, you know, service workers who are in retail because it's hard. You know, it's hard and you don't get paid a lot. And um, so, I again, I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity because I learned about conflict management early. (laughs) I'm sure. Oh, my, I'm sure. Right, being busy, so it was fun. Awesome. So, okay, so we go from dealing with no shirt, no shoes, no service at Happy Harry's 
to now. What's that career journey been like? Well, you know, it's very interesting. I've had a very interesting career journey because when I first graduated from college, I just knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I was like, this is what I want to do. I think this is how I want to, you know, follow my career because I had an undergraduate in psychology. And one of my mentors at the time, shout out to Dr. Kurtz at Delaware State University. He said, you know, listen, there's no money in psychology. I'm telling you right now that it's going to be the, you know, the claims with Medicare are crazy and you should really consider social work. You know, social work, it doesn't cost as much. You don't have to stay in school as long. And you'll be able to do some of the same things that I do. So I said, okay, you know, let me think about that. So ultimately I followed his advice. I went on to graduate school at the Temple University where I got my master's in social work. Interestingly enough, social work has two tracks, right? You can be clinical or you can be macro, which is in a management level. And me being me, someone who's always juggled a lot of different things, I wasn't quite sure at the time what I wanted to do. So I decided to um, go macro, but I took all of my electives in clinical so I could still have that, you know, opportunity to still do clinical work when I graduated. So I spent a lot of, you know, the first 10 years of my career working in behavioral health in various level management positions. Um, ultimately, I was promoted to um, vice president of operations for actually one of the largest behavioral health, well, actually the largest black owned behavioral health care company in the state of Pennsylvania. And they've since um, moved into Chicago, Atlanta, and New Jersey. So I worked with them for about nine years doing their expansion into the other states, as well as managing their outpatient programs, all the while also working a second job as a therapist, because I didn't want to lose those skill sets. I really enjoyed doing therapy. It was just wasn't something I wanted to do as my main gig. And, you know, being a Black woman, you know, we have to work multiple jobs sometimes, you know, or you're addicted to the hustle. And for better or worse, that's what that's what I thought I needed to do to kind of grow my skill set and to be able to be my best self. So it was after being there, I realized that I really did enjoy management. So I went on to get my um, MBA. After doing that, I one of the things that really concerned me was being almost typecast, right? Where all I could work in is mental health. And we have wow. all the literature, right? That should, that, you know, tells us that diversity in organizations matter, regardless of what your industry is, diversity matters. And even though we have that literature, people don't, people don't read it. <laughs> no, of course not. At all. Reading is fundamental and people don't do it. Right. They just want to hire. If everyone's an engineer, they want to hire an engineer. If everyone's, you know, got a marketing degree, they want to hire a marketing degree. So after that, I had a really difficult time trying to figure out what my next move was because I didn't want to get, you know, trapped and only working in nonprofit behavioral health. It had been good to me, but I wanted to do more. So, you know, relationships matter. You know, we talked a little bit um, about, you know, networking and I met some, I had some great mentors um, out of, out of New York, actually, who who said to me, look, you know, all you have to do is just apply for different jobs. You know, don't even put your degree on your resume if you don't want to. Just apply and see what happens. So I ended up doing some work in, in a psychiatric hospital, but I was a director of marketing. So that was like my first in, right, to try to, to do something outside on the behavioral health side. And then eventually I went on to work in manufacturing, um, really solidifying my role as being a successful leader outside of the nonprofit behavioral health 
um, lens. So that was really, really helpful for me, being able to have those relationships to um, get other industries to see me outside of behavioral health really got me to where I am now. I think that was a pivotal turning point in my career because once I did that, that's when I started my own consulting business. And part of what part of what I do now, and I've been doing this now since 2012, is working with um, small businesses and also entrepreneurs and helping them either develop some of their behavioral health programs from a macro level. If they don't have it, helping them institute it or helping them just create systematic change within their programming. So let's say they want to get into a new space. Um, that they've never been in. I kind of walk them through that process, make sure they have their back office functions in place, help them develop effective policies and procedures and really help them be successful. They take their vision and really implement it into something that's practical and evidence-based. So that's what I've been doing now. Some of my clients include, you know, the Department of Behavioral Health for the city of Philadelphia. Um, I work with several charter schools and um, public schools in Delaware and some charter schools in Philadelphia, helping them implement their behavioral health care programs. So I really wanted to kind of marry, right, my business acumen as well as my behavioral health background into something that would add value to people and organizations. Awesome. And what a great way of showing how you sort of build a path and then you sort it out and then you marry the things that you're really good together to build something pretty awesome. So thank you for sharing that. So, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think a lot of people have read a lot about behavioral health, Mm -hmm. but do not understand what it actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love for you to kind of give um, a kind of crash course on what it actually means and what it actually means for organizations. Okay. So I think what I've really loved recently is people are talking about mental health now. Yeah, finally. Yeah, it wasn't a conversation that we were having 10, you know, shops, even maybe five years ago. So when we talk about behavioral health, it includes all those things, not just your mental health, but also just challenges that occur in families that may um, inhibit their ideal or optimal functioning. Right. So that can include family based services that help families learn how to function a little bit better, how to navigate life, you know, which is hard. And when you couple that with poverty, when you couple that with even with mental health problems for families, they may need those additional supports. And that all falls under behavioral health care. As it relates to organizations, behavioral health is becoming increasingly important because look at the world we're living in right now. <laughs> Slight, slightly, slightly challenging, tiny, tiny right. little bit. Right. So we've got the pandemic. We've had the, you know, the political unrest. We've had racism and the, and and um, you know social justice issues. And often, what people don't talk about is all is we also have so many different generations working in the office now. You know, we still have boomers working. Um, Generation X, which I'm part of, the Millennials, Generation Z, and they all handle their challenges and problems differently. So about organizations having a really concrete wellness program to help support their um, support their staff and their employees really will increase the productivity of their people. It'll make their, you know, um, reduce turnover. And, you know, just all the literature shows that productivity goes up. 
and people are happy. They're loyal. They want to work with you. And historically, when we think of wellness, we just think about the physical health. Like, okay, well, we're going to partner with, I don't know, Blue Cross Blue Shield to make sure, you know, everyone's, no one's smoking and everyone's weighing themselves, right? You've got a healthy lifestyles program for, you know, the biggest loser at your office, but no one talks about, well, what are we doing about mental health? How are we addressing suicide? How are we dealing with the stress of living in this pandemic? And how does this affect our workers? So one of the things I do is I work with organizations to kind of help them start having those conversations. And oftentimes, particularly small organizations don't know where to start. So, you know, the huge Fortune 500 companies, they're good, right? But the reality is most businesses, I think it's like last time I checked, it was like 90% of all businesses are small businesses, which is like 20 employees or, or fewer, Who's supporting them? So that's kind of who I try to connect with and work with some of those mid-sized to small businesses. Um, most of my clients, um, they have um, employees around 500 to maybe 1,000 to really work with them on how to promote a wellness culture that starts with behavioral health or mental health wellness. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, you know, I talked about some podcast before that, you know, it's within the last three years, a lot of the stigma and walls around people openly discussing their mental health um, has begun to come down. And as a result, you know, it got accelerated even more so with regard to COVID mm-hmm. because now it's like, well, it's all out here. And, or, you know, new things arise because it's been extremely different, difficult to, to sort of navigate this past year because, you know, in, you know, especially if you're a small business owner, um, what have been some of the things that you've been able to sort of help small businesses sort of figure out how to navigate this in, in smart ways so that their employees can you know, feel comfortable and better about their current situations? Well, one of the things is kind of coaching them through being comfortable having the conversation. Right. We make assumptions that although we see it on IG, we see you know it on TV about mental health matters, it's so easy to type it in 150 characters or less, but to stand in front of your team and feel comfortable talking about it, well, that's a different story. So oftentimes it starts with helping them normalize the conversation and be comfortable having that conversation with their team via Zoom town halls or their individual meetings. That's the first step. Asking you how asking someone how they doing goes far because you know when I've asked um some executives, you know, what do you say? You know, how do you check on your employees? They're like, "Well, I ask them how they're doing." And I said, "What's their typical response?" And they're like, "They say they're fine." And I keep on moving. <laughs> And and that's and that is part of the problem, right? We give the answer that we think we want to hear, right? Whereas, we don't want to rock the rock the card. Exactly. So I encourage the um, leaders, and typically that starts to having meetings. You know, before COVID, obviously, I would you know go on site and work with a lot of the uh, the leaders and senior management, but now I'm having a lot of those meetings via Zoom to start having some tough conversations about wellness and particularly mental health in their organizations. Then oftentimes I may help run some focus groups with the team around how safe their organization is. So I can't encourage a CEO to have a conversation with with their team about mental health or or any type of personal issues if it's a toxic work environment, right? 
So part of it is really making sure there's a safe work environment. So I'll give them some information to kind of do a, a, a you know, an audit, an audit of their um, their business to see how are we doing as it relates to communication, safety, not just physical safety, but emotional safety. How do we approach difficult conversations? Are all of our senior management leaders um, voiced in terms of messaging? Do they know what to say? Do they know who the resources are? And if there aren't resources, I help them cultivate those resources, either if they they have the revenue, if they're large enough to do it in-house. I work with them to set up something in-house. If they're not, then I work with them to connect with community resources in their city so that they can have a connection in their neighborhood and in their local community to help support them if they need to refer their client, their, um, I'm sorry, not their clients, their employees to other supports. Awesome. And so needed. So, you know, thinking about this, like what's sort of been the response? Have companies sort of been like, all right, let's, let's do this. And like, let's keep this going. Or have they been like, all right, I'm going to start this, but like, yeah, I'm going to pull back now that we're almost a year into this. It's interesting that you say that because what I found is it's starting to increase because, you know, when we first started with COVID, you know, um, there was actually some level of relief that people get to work home, work from home for a while. So even though there was anxiety around not knowing the future because we weren't sure, you know, just we knew it was just killing people. And every time we turned around, we didn't know who, who was vulnerable. But now what we're finding is that people are becoming more frustrated and more overwhelmed. They're actually needing the services more because what used to work, let's say 10 months ago, which was like a Zoom happy hour, right? Or scavenger hunt with your team. People are over it. They over Zoom, they over they over virtual happy hour. They're like, look. <laughs> no, none of this. I am over all of this. Yes, they're right over it. You. So actually I'm finding that they want more support. Um, and sometimes, again, that support is connecting them to uh, an early um, employee assistance program. And again, you know, employee assistance programs are something that typically organizations who are at least 30 million or more in revenue can afford. So when you don't have that level of revenue, you're that small, you're, you're that typical small business at 10 to 15 people, then um, I find that they're very eager to get resources. And that's what I help them find. I help them cultivate them in-house. I have a team of people that work with me and sometimes we provide short-term support. Um, of I have a team of social workers and also therapists um, that can provide support short-term or long-term depending on what they can afford or what they need to help them through this difficult time. And the response has been, you know, really good so far. Um, I think sometimes people don't know what they need until they need it. Right, exactly. Prior to COVID, most of the times I was coming in because someone had a problem. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Someone had a problem and they were like, okay, we need you to fix this because this isn't working. Whereas now I feel like people are becoming more proactive um, because they're seeing their staff, their employees suffer. You know, as I mentioned, I have a couple schools that I work with and, you know, most of the schools I work with, the average age, you know, of a teacher is between 27 and 33 because there are a lot of charter schools and they tend to, you know, people start their career in, in the charter school space sometimes. And they realize they have teachers that just weren't logging in. They're like, they just gave up. They're like, they're not logging in. We don't know how to connect with them. 
And, you know, once our team started working with them and providing them with some real solutions, we started to see them almost re-engage in a way that was, you know, ideal for the school, but also healthier for them. So we're, we're seeing the benefits of the work. And I hope that more small businesses start to realize that this is not some pie in the sky thing that only, you know, t- the big businesses can have. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this work, because my career has been in nonprofit and I want to connect with people and I want to be able to offer those same resources that those big businesses have to smaller organizations. That's awesome. And so necessary because I think, yeah, we are just complete. If I have to see, if I see one more Zoom happy hour, I will just throw my <laughs> throw my laptop out the window. But in the same token, you know, organizationally, you've got to find ways to sort of continue to reinvent and continue to make sure that people mm-hmm. um, can speak to someone when they're not okay. Because no, I think the, we have a collective, we're all not okay. Like we're running into a year of this and no matter how happy go lucky you can be, all of this is stressful. All of this is scary. And acknowledging that is, um, is the first part of this, but then having, you know, an organization that can essentially, um, you know, kind of get out of the way and offer services, I think is key in like, you know, getting out of that, getting out of the, getting out of their own way is so important. Mm-hmm. And, and being also comfortable having difficult conversations, because a lot of our conversations this year wasn't just about COVID. You know, there was a lot of um, social justice issues. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm based out of Philadelphia. I live in Wilmington, Delaware. I'm based out of Philadelphia. And, you know, we had a, a police involved shooting that terrorized one of the neighborhoods that one of my schools were located in. And, you know, people were scared. I was scared. You know, I'm like, they didn't stay. Where's the book that taught me how to do this? <laughs> right. Where's the book? <laughs> because we had people that were literally, it was like a police state. I mean, it was, it was scary. And we had to help teachers. We had to help family members. And part of that is getting ahead of it. You know, working with those schools to say, okay, look, let's schedule a town hall immediately. Let's, you know, let's create some resources. I had my team of, 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 of people that were there to help, but it was so huge. I had to reach out to some other colleagues in the city to provide some short-term crisis support because everyone was scared. Everyone was scared. There was tear gas. There was, you know, it was a lot going on. And, you know, you have to be able to respond quickly to those situations and those crisis situations that occur. And I applaud the um, the, the executive director at, at that school because they first have to realize there's a need, you know, because if you wait too long, then you've already waited, you know, you've already done more damage than, you know, you'd like if you wait too long. You really want to get a, on, on top of it. And in front of it yeah because i think you know we've had we had these twin pandemics hit it, the country at the exact same mm-hmm. time we had covid and then we had you know obviously race has been an issue forever right. um but it, be, it it became more magnified because people were at home and could not look away mm-hmm. um and even now we had the insurrection a couple of few weeks ago and again, you could not look away. Like I call it, like, you know, the white privilege parade, because if anyone ever was like, I don't really know what white privilege looks like. Well, did you see the people who stormed the Capitol and then got escorted out and didn't get tear gas or like, you know, arrested on the way out? Yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you no longer can tell me you don't know what it looks like but that is traumatizing that is scary and how and how as you as an employee can respond to that and um and how that affects your work you know has to be taken into account by your employer because it's this is not an easy thing to navigate it does and it, and it's more than again a, a instagram post saying you know we no. stand <laughs> with you you know <laughs> it, it has to be action and what i do is you know i work with these businesses to say let's put in a a plan how to develop the plan based on the culture of their organization and when i say the culture you know the age matters the gender matters you know do the the the, the, the um the demographics matter you know are there white black asian latino lgbtq you know who who's who are your who's your team and then we put together a plan to help support them that you know is three, six, nine, 12 months in, because it has to be part of your culture. It just cannot be something that you do because, okay, we have this issue, come fix it. I, I can't work with organizations that do that. You know, you have to really be bought into understanding this mental health is part of the culture of your organization. Wellness is part of the culture of your business. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspace is to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK, and they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know been able to meet some really awesome people, which haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's, it's so, it's so key and, and so important. You know, looking back on this obviously crazy year, and I'm sure just in terms of building your business, can you talk to me about a time you had a challenge where you're like, I'm never going to find my way through, and then you did? Hmm. Well, interesting. I, I, that's a good question. I think when I first made a decision to start my business was really around that time because, um, most of, my clients have truly come from word of mouth. Um, it's never been, I've never done a lot of marketing, advertising. It's just been, I'll get a call and say, so-and-so referred you to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. But I think one of the biggest challenges that happened for me was when I was working with an organization that, um, again, they call me when there's a problem, was this close to losing their ability to stay open. I mean, they had had you know, multiple citations from the federal government. And if they got one more citation, they were going to be closed. So I think what made it the most challenging for me was I was, uh, you know, obviously I'm, my name's Tamika. I'm a black woman. And I was walking into an organization that was probably 98% white. Um, never had a... Uh, a black woman in any type of position of, of leadership, be it middle management, senior management, you name it, never had a black woman in that space. And on top of it, 
the, most of the people they hired were nurses. And, you know, my background is in psychology and social work. And I was like, what have I done? <laughs> what uh-huh. have I done? But, you know, it was a huge challenge. You're getting the team members to trust me. I had to have a lot of difficult conversations about expectations, about professionalism. And you find it a lot, particularly in small businesses sometimes, they have a lot of heart, they have a lot of passion, but sometimes professionalism and what is, you know, a best practice is, I don't want to use the word ignore, but it's not as held to such a high uh, level of expectation as is this is what we've always done. And I had to say, you know, what you've always done has gotten you here. You're about to lose your job. You're about to lose this entire building. You're about to lose this business, which had been in um, business for over 30 years. Is that what you want to happen? So it was really, really challenging. Um, But, you know, we stayed the course. Um, I, I think I grew, you know, 10 times in my own just professional development. And we were able to get them a one, which, you know, a one, two year approval with the federal government, which is the max you can get anyway, um, as a result of my interventions. And it was a lot of meetings. It was a lot of focus groups. It was a lot of, you know, transparency is so important when working with people, especially when there's a level of distrust. But also I had to confront you know, some of the racism. This was before it was cool to start confronting racism. You know, this was back in 2012. You know, we, I don't know if we had the um, Black Girl Magic thing. Um, uh, no, the yeah. added, but it wasn't loud. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like, okay, you know, have, having to confront some of those microaggressions was important. Um, again, you know, I learned a lot. It had me question myself a couple times, but I learned a lot and it really positioned me to be prepared for any challenge that that could come up in my, you know, for, for my business. And here I am, fast forward from 2012 to now, and we've grown, you know, every year since I've started. Awesome. And yeah, that's, you know, right there with you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) In there, in there. Um, You know, it's, it's just hard. Um, You know, look, it's part of the reason I'm doing this, this, this series. So so more folks can see like you're in every sector. Mm. Um, That there is brilliance in every sector with the black woman. And doesn't matter where you are. And, you know, as I think, as I was telling you, like, I deliberately didn't use my typical network to find my guests for this series. I wanted people to kind of come through all different channels. So you, you absolutely see that if you want someone who's a behavior specialist, you've got to make it. Mm-hmm. If you want someone who's an architect, I got her. Um, because you keep telling me you can't find these people and you want to hire them, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, well, here you go. And this is now the second year I've done this. So at the end of this, there will be at least mm, 60 black women from wow. all different walks of life. Just me randomly doing this. So I snap my fingers. So don't say that you can't find us and don't say that you, you, we can't help your organization no matter what you are trying to do because we are here. So um, I'm so glad that you were, that you shared that. Well, thank you. Thank you for creating this space, right? To be able to do that. Because we are out here, right? We're not these anomalies. Well, it's like, you know, I just get frustrated by seeing like the same magical unicorns that they want to show up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're 
awesome. But there's so many more. And just like, you know, when you look at founders of tech companies, it's like random white dude in a t-shirt. Like you can throw a stone and find 50 of them who have raised, I don't know, 10 million bucks. Well, you can throw a stone and find 60 of us who are in similar, in, who are in all these different industries that you need help in. Um, that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it is, it is very, very key. Um, you know, thinking about where you've come and how far you've been able to grow, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Tamika? Oh, wow. Okay. I think that I would tell her to travel more. <laughs> travel more. Take as many risks as possible because there, you know, I think sometimes when you're from a small town, which I am from, you learn a lot about people. But sometimes your worldview can be somewhat limited. And it's so important to take that step. And for so many women, particularly uh, women who don't necessarily have a lot of mentors or family members who have gone on to do different things, you may feel that you can't do other things. Everyone in my family was a teacher, Lauren. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, my mom, my dad, my my sister, my uncles, because that's what, you know, um, black people did during that time in my in my town who were educated because there weren't a lot of resources. It's a small rural town, maybe maybe a thousand people. So they just assumed I would be a teacher. And mm-hmm. I thought that I was like, that's that's just not what God has for me. I don't know what it is, but it's not that. So I would say to her, you know, keep pushing keep pushing. I know it's scary because you don't see a lot for people that are doing what you're doing, but keep pushing, travel the world and see it. And if you don't see it, make it, you know, I wanted, I didn't necessarily want to be a business owner. I was trying to find a job that mirrored, that married my talents, but I couldn't find one. And I did not decide, you know what, I'm just going to create one. Exactly. And it's like, if you want something done, I'll just figure it out for you. I'll just do it. Um, I'll, find my, I'll find my own way. Uh, and that's so important. Awesome. Um, you know, navigating all of this and also, you know, being the person who has to sort of be the behavioral specialist for all these organizations and you have to worry about your own self, too. So mm-hmm. what are you doing for yourself there? No, thank you for asking me that. <laughs> I, I really like, thank you for asking me that because sometimes, you know, people don't always check in, but I have a really great support system. And I also think it's important to, you know, be sure that I'm checking in with, some, with someone regularly. So I have my person that I am checking in with regularly. You know, I see a therapist so that I can manage what I have going on. And I think it's important to, really do things that you enjoy right now. You know, I, I'm a runner, but I don't run in the winter. And I was like, mm, I don't know, you know, it's cold. But I realized that I had to learn how to winterfy my outfit because getting outside is important. It's important for everyone. Even if it's like 15 minutes a day, when we're stuck in the house on a computer from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., that's just not healthy for anyone. We have to get outside. So it's it's almost like practicing what I preach, being mindful of that. Um, right now I'm doing some some work. Um, you know, I found this really nice uh, Facebook group that's doing some work around abundance and the abundant life. 
And, you know, I'm always learning and curious about reading new books. And so I'm reading this great book about, you know, the abundant life. So surrounding yourself with positive things, but not to the point where it's toxic, because there is such thing as, you know, toxic positivity, which is not healthy either. You know, we have a whole range of emotions for a reason, and we should be able to tap into those emotions at any given time as we need to. So, you know, if I'm sad, being able to be in that space and be sad, and that's okay because we've had a lot going on. You know, when Cicely Tyson died last week, I was sad. You know, I was all prepared to um, be on her live discussion with Whoopi Goldberg that night. I had signed up. Oh, yeah. You know, I was super excited. But, you know, so we have to be able to um, be, be okay to sit in some of our feelings sometimes. And I feel like oftentimes we're encouraged to just sit in positivity, sit in joy, sit in gratitude. And that's important. But we also have to sometimes sit in grief, sit in sadness. And that's okay, too. So I'm trying to, you know, really just be more mindful and aware these days. That's awesome and so necessary. And I'm so glad you said that because I think, you know, as tough as it's been, folks are like, well, yeah, well, you just have to find your joy and yada, yada. And it's like, actually, no, I don't. Because mm-hmm. if I, if I, if I want to be sad for a little bit, let me be sad for a little bit. Um, doesn't mean I have to stay here in that, but like, we're, we're all in grief. We're all in grief. We're all grieving the loss of a year. Yes. Um, and this wasn't, like, we didn't ask for this. You know, we're not working at home because we are choosing to work home. We're working at home because we're forced to, because we don't want to have a big scary monster kill us outside, even though it's an invisible virus. That's basically what it is. And, you know, people have lost loved ones and have lost jobs and opportunities and trips. And so no one can be disparaged for being like, this sucks. This isn't great. Um, and acknowledging that is the first part of healing for, to get to the other side. But to make people feel as though, oh, well, you should just be grateful that you're here. Yada, yada. Yeah, no. That's not how this works. <laughs> That is not how this works, boys and girls. <laughs> so, um, right. I th- I think it's it's very important to acknowledge that, find you and find your way and find your resources so that you can make it to the other side. But acknowledging is key. So I think that's so important that you brought that up. So you know because I don't think we talk about that side of the house enough. Acknowledging that this is the sex. <laughs> Yeah. And that's where it can become, you know, like I said, it can become very toxic. And then, you know, people are out here saying, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why can't, why can't I be happy? Why can't I have this joy that everyone's saying, you know, hush, hush now, get your, you know, stifle those tears. So that, that's just not healthy. So yeah, we'll get through this, but it's going to take that all of a range of emotions. I tell you, my favorite movie on this is in and out I'd say watching and out. You know, you got it. You need every single set of emotions that you have in your toolkit. Absolutely. And, you know, um, last question for you, Tamika, because it's such a wonderful conversation, um, is do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? 
Okay. Well, I think that right now my give would be if you are interested in a consultation, I'm offering free consultations right now. You can go to my website and sign up and we can kind of talk a little bit about what your needs are if you're a small business or even a solopreneur. And, you know, you're dealing with some of the stress that's coming from your own running your own business and you want to make sure you're okay. Go to my website at um, www.tamikastewart.com and sign up for a free consultation and we can talk to see if it's a good fit. Um, and I also can, you know, lead you in the right direction for some resources, you know, so that you can feel like it was worth the call, right? So I can give you something from that. I really just encourage people to take care of themselves, to take care of your organization. You know, it's almost like what they say with uh, when you go on a plane, you know, before you secure the oxygen for your child or loved one, secure yours first. And as a small business owner or solopreneur, you have to secure, secure yours first. So um, check out my website if you'd like to schedule consultation, if you uh, like what we talked about today. Um, I would love to talk to you and, and look at some ways I can help you in your business. Awesome. Thanks so much. That's so funny. I mean, that's literally what I say all the time. I'm like, put the oxygen mask on first. (laughs) You cannot save anybody else if you're drowning. So, um, and something I had to learn myself, like my coach taught me that. Um, But like, once I like put that into my head of like, literally, you have got to put yourself first here. Um, That was a game changer. So thank you for sharing that. And we'll put all the details in the show notes uh, for folks to, to, to reach out to you. Um, Tamika, it's been such a pleasure standing with you. I mean, so many great little nuggets of wisdom. Um, and also just really awesome to hear that th- this is the sector that you're in um, because we need more of you out there in the world, especially at this moment. So thank you so much for being part of the show. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This is awesome. I'm glad awesome. to be here. Cool. And that is our show.